Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. You know how I'm always telling you guys to bet on red? Well, if you head over to Bet Online Sportsbook, you can put together a nice little parlay of Patrick Mahomes to win MVP, Kansas City to get the number one seed in the AFC, and Kansas City to win the Super Bowl, tallying together at a nice value of plus 1150. Use our promo code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get a 50% welcome bonus on that first deposit when you sign up with the link in the description to this episode. Bet Online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you. For stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. It is a fantabulous December 8th. 2022 we have our big guy here on the show today he's been coming on for two years now which makes me feel incredibly incredibly old that was like 700 podcast episodes ago that we first had Chris Cluey on the show I was first introduced to Chris because in the middle of the pandemic Kevin Stefanski got COVID and it led me to his story about how when he was a punter for the Minnesota Vikings he ended up being an advocate and an ally for LGBTQ rights and basically the legalization of gay marriage in Minnesota. And ultimately, his outspokenness did not go over well with Leslie Frazier, then the coach in Minnesota, and one special teams coach who had a quote that I will not recite because it is incredibly, incredibly homophobic. And basically, his career gets short by cut short by a few years, even though he's still putting up middle of the league average punting statistics. And he goes on Ellen and he writes a story for Deadspin that becomes kind of famous, talking about how his NFL career was cut short because of Leslie Frazier and the NFL's culture of anything that's not strictly, strictly football you don't talk about because it's quote unquote a distraction. And that was our first introduction to Chris. Now he comes on the show and talks talks to us about how the world is crumbling and all of these institutions that are failing us and real life topics that are really fun for me to talk about, especially with someone as knowledgeable and intellectual as Chris. And 
This week, we're going to talk to him about getting banned from Twitter because he and his 150,000 followers on Twitter decided when Elon Musk purchased Twitter that he was going to change his name to Elon Musk and be one of the people like Kathy Griffin who got banned from Twitter for impersonating Elon Musk. And he did it, as you'll find out, perfectly because he posted a meme that was uh, talking about Elon Musk um, basically asking to charge $8 for verification. He's like, but you're the richest man in the world. Why would you need it? And then it's the meme of the person uh, with his eyebrows going up and then his eyebrows being the angry face. Um, you can find it. If you follow Chris's Instagram, I linked it in the description of this episode. You can see the meme that he posted that uh, ended up having over 10 million interactions on Twitter and 100,000 likes and it went like super, super viral. Like I said, over 10 million interactions just on that tweet alone. And uh, also another tweet that got a few hundred thousand interactions uh, as Elon Musk saying that he loves drinking piss in the morning. And that was my favorite was the one saying you need a warm glass of piss in the morning that ended up getting him banned from Twitter. We're going to talk to him about getting banned from Twitter uh, because he was like, probably the most famous fake Elon Musk who got banned on Twitter. So without further ado, here is, as a weird introduction of his story, here is Minnesota Vikings punter Chris Cluey. First part of our conversation, Friday we're going to have the second part of our conversation with Chris, but first part of our conversation about getting banned from Twitter. Hello, hello. How are you doing? Good. How's it going? Uh, it's going pretty great over here. I'm uh, enjoying myself, shall we say. I'm in a new location than last time. I'm up in Sacramento now, so uh, it's going well. Oh, fun. NorCal. NorCal time, yeah. It's NorCal time for me, I guess. So uh, is everything going well for you? Yep. Can't complain. Just taking care of my kids. Living the dream. Living the dream out there. Yeah. So uh, for the people listening, as always, we are joined by our good friend, former NFL punter, writer, advocate, uh, recently banned from Twitter, Chris Cluey. <laughs> I'm trying to the bird think is of more free. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think of more praises. I couldn't think of anything cooler than you getting banned from Twitter for fighting with Elon Musk. Um, yeah, yeah. No, that was a good one. <laughs> Yeah, Chris Cluey's joining us on the show today, uh, as he's done a few times now, going back a couple of years. Um, yeah, man, you got banned from Twitter. That was super awesome. It was super fun. I sent you a message afterwards. It was super cool to see that that play out where you <laughs> you got into a fight with Elon Musk on Twitter. It was awesome. Yeah, no, it's well, basically what I was trying to do is just kind of point out, like, hey, this is what the site's gonna turn into. Like if you if you have pay to play for verification, then you know it's it's just going to take one person to be like, all right, well, I'm going to, you know, build up my cred for a couple months and then I will then turn it into something else. And like, the thing is, is that I was like, I didn't even go half as hard as I could have. Cause like, I didn't link any malware. Like I didn't link any phishing sites. <laughs> like, I, you know, I didn't link things that would have actually like caused harm to people, but that is for sure something that is going to happen. Yeah. Absolutely. And you took you took the better route in terms of what I was looking for as like a with comedian sensibilities of sorts, which is just telling people to drink your own piss, which I think is honestly better than sending malware in terms of getting the message across. Right. It's well, and, and again, it's like it's one of those things where, you know, you can you can make a point without being a dick about it. And like 
the the big thing I wanted to show was that hey, this can happen to anyone. Like in terms of you can get fooled very very easily when the trust process is something that can be bought versus something that is earned. Because I had, um, I think the the biggest post I did, um, I think it was the one that um, it was, was the, it the meme, meme of, with the boxes where he's like, yeah, um, the boxes, yeah, yeah. It's like you know why why do you need me to pay you eight dollars? Like <laughs> you promised to to solve world hunger. That one, I think it got over like a hundred thousand likes or something like that. Yeah, no, that was like out. mega mega viral. Yeah, like it went super viral. And like the the thing is, is that okay? Yeah, like th- that. Of the replies I got to that, over half of them were people who legit thought it was Elon Musk posting that. <laughs> I'm like, if that doesn't demonstrate the point, then I don't know what does. <laughs> you, no, you had me at first, like because I obviously I don't follow Elon Musk on my personal account, but I follow you. So when it popped mm-hmm. up, I was like, oh, that's a weird thing that the algorithm sent me. And then I right? looked closer. I was like, wait a minute, that's <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not Elon Musk. <laughs> that's Chris. What? I yeah. couldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah, no, and and again, like that's that's the point is that trust shouldn't be something that can be bought. Like it's and and. Twitter is such a, a beneficial place if it is moderated correctly, because it provides a public forum for people to interact with each other and with public figures in ways that they normally would not be able to. I mean, when, when you think about everyday life, like how often are you going to get the chance to walk up to, say, like a politician or a business leader or a sports figure like that doesn't really happen in physical everyday life. But on Twitter, it's something that can happen. And so the, the great thing that used to be the great thing about Twitter was that you knew, okay, yeah, if this person has been verified as being who they are, you know, that's who they are versus mm-hmm. having to pay $8 for a verification thing. Then it's just like, all right, well, if I'm a scammer or, you know, someone who wants to fish for credit card information or social security information, like, sure, I'll, I'll pay eight bucks for like two or three months. Cause that's, And if I get even one person to click on a link and I get their personal information, like I have made back my investment a (laughs) hundredfold and you're going to get more than one person clicking on that link. Well, yeah, that's the super important part of moderation. And like, you you know, with me, you're preaching to the choir. I I get the whole point there. And it was just cool to see you do that. And you know, the, the thing you were talking about, like Twitter being a space where you can directly interact that isn't, I mean, when I was a kid, I remember that was how Twitter was kind of sold is like, this is how people who were previously marginalized or didn't have a voice could have a direct line to powerful mm-hmm. and influential people. Even now you might not always be seen, but compared to the alternative, there was no chance you were ever going to be seen or interact with people. And I think in like the first six to eight years of Twitter, that was what Twitter was kind of advertising is like, we can be a space for people to organize and a space for people to interact with people they otherwise might not. And then in the post Trump world, all of that went away because, you know, Mm -hmm. Twitter kind of adapted to that fact. And we're like, we don't really want that because it's not good for our bottom line. Because truth has no meaning anymore. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. We've always been at war with East Asia. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, no, I, 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 I think you raise um, an interesting point there in that like it is very true and that it's not just people getting to interact with celebrities or public figures or influential figures in that Twitter also like brought up voices that normally would not have been heard. Right. So say say you're someone who's fighting for like um, minority rights in like inner city environments. 
like normally it's like okay, maybe your local paper does a you know a, a small piece on you or the local news perhaps does like a five minute bit but with twitter like you you could bring forth your message and if enough people latched onto it then it was like oh hey this is something that matters like this this is something we should be caring about we should be paying attention to and it can actually drive public policy change and it sucks that that's going away because I don't really see many other options for that kind of not quite freewheeling, but like, as I said, the, the public square of these, these are interesting voices. These are interesting things that we should be talking about and we should be discussing because they do affect a significant portion of people like both in our country and in other countries as well. That's where I hope innovation kind of comes into play as kind of like the the broken clock is right twice a day with capitalism, where it's like at a certain point, there's this demand. So maybe it will be met somewhere in the future. But as of right now, I think you're right. I don't really see what that that platform is or that technology mm. is that will help people organize in a meaningful way. I mean, Twitter can still be that. It's just it seems like it's moving in a direction that kind of is it well it's been moving away from that since about 2015 but now it seems like they're kind of full steam ahead on trying to maximize profit and uh open essentially decrease moderation as a way to maximize profit even though we don't really know what their business model is right now (laughs) right we'll say and and the thing is that's so self-defeating in the long term and that like if you get rid of moderation yeah you'll you'll save some money in the short term because you're not paying salaries for you know people who are doing the moderation but in the long term like advertisers aren't going to want to work with you i mean who wants to advertise on a site where there's the possibility of you know like uh like child porn or death videos or like really abusive things being posted or said to people. It's like, why would you ever spend your money to put your product next to something like that? (laughs) Which by the way, (laughs) that's why moderation existed in the first place. That's the whole, it's serving a purpose. It's not like it was there for nothing. Right. Exactly. It's, It's like, yes, we have the first amendment that you have the right to free speech, but if you pull off all your clothes and go shoving your private bits in people's faces in public, you're going to get arrested. <laughs> that's no longer free speech. That's you imposing upon other people and being a dick. <laughs> it's like, yeah, there's like still a, consequences. It's just, this is the whole thing. I mean, so bring it back to what you were talking about. Like, do you, you were kind of anticipating that ultimately it would end with you getting thrown off Twitter. That, was that kind of your thought process or you were just kind of like going along and see what would happen? Oh, yeah, no, I, I absolutely knew I was going to get if not like suspended, then banned, or, you know, it was going to be one of the two. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I could go back if I took the post down, but I don't really want to take them down. (laughs) I I don't see Twitter as a, as a viable sort of place to be right now, as long as Musk is in charge. But yeah, no, when, when I made those posts, it was with the full knowledge that what I was doing was against the terms of service and that it was something that would get me suspended and or banned. But I felt it was important to point out that like, Hey, this, this is what you're turning this platform into. Like this, this is the type of environment you want to create. This is what that looks like. (laughs) So have fun. Yeah. And and that relates to what you're talking about with moderation, which is like, you can moderate it to a certain extent, but like when you have that situation, this is where the floodgates are going to start to open. I know you weren't the only person who got banned for impersonating Mm -hmm. Elon Musk. Like it was a whole week stretch where there was like a bunch of people with verification, but like, that's where all of this, 
not necessarily where all of this is headed, but this is why they've now stepped up in moderating again. And this is why the business model has changed as like now the whole like fun, like, hey, this is the first week and we're going to do wacky shit has worn off. And they're kind of in this for the long run. Right. Well, because it's like you can be a troll lord as much as you want. But at the end of the day, you got to pay the bills. (laughs) And when your legal department comes and says, hey, we are just hemorrhaging money because you're not moderating anything and advertisers are bailing out. And it's like, well, <laughs> guess the previous people might've known what they were doing. Or you just don't care about making money. You're just doing yeah. it to do it, which right. would well, be so it, sh- and, and shocking. That's here. the other unfortunate thing is that like, I, I think that is also a viable strategy for Musk is that he probably doesn't care if the thing burns down. Like he, he has no vested interest in Twitter for what it's good for, for him, it's just a way to get self-gratification from a different platform that isn't him being the world's richest man. And it's like, can't you just go buy a yacht or something? Like, why do you have to ruin this thing that so many people depend on just because you got your feelings hurt on it a couple of times for being a dipshit? Like, hey, maybe try not being a dipshit. <laughs> He, try, he tried to get out. out of it and then realized he wasn't going to mm-hmm. get his $44 billion back. And it was like, ah, shit. All right. Yeah. I guess we got to do that. $44 billion plus the $20 billion or something that, that he's lost because Tesla's stock has gone down as a result of right. buying it's, Twitter. Well, and, and again, that's something just from a, from a purely like capitalistic standpoint is that he has a very heavy presence in the companies that he runs. Like he, he is very, he's not just a figurehead. Like he is one of the people making decisions. He's one of the people in charge. And if you're an investor looking at how he has handled the situation with Twitter and how he presents himself publicly, like I would not give him a single cent of my money for any product that he makes. If he's the person in charge of making decisions. (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah, from a, well, like you said, from a purely capitalistic standpoint, I agree, but that also requires you to put all of your morals and ethics aside on this guy is just a terrible person. It's just a terrible human being who does terrible yeah. things to people in the first place. Well, no, and, and that's that's what I'm saying, though, is that this is kind of that mm-hmm. confluence of when capitalism lines up with the ethical thing to do and that a, you are seeing a lot of advertisers and big companies saying, hey, we're not going to work with you like on this program because of how you are presenting yourself and how you are presenting your product. And, you know, that translates directly into that loss of market share, both for Twitter and for Tesla. And I wouldn't be surprised to see it continue spiraling down because if you're, again, if you're an investor and for the past, you know, 15, 20 years, you've been sold the myth of Elon Musk as the brilliant, you know, man who just creates money out of nothing, right? You know, he created rocket ships, he created Tesla, like he's, he's got it going on. And then now you're like, wait a minute, what if he's not really the brilliant guy? What if he just hired a bunch of smart people and he's just an asshole? <laughs> and, and now he's really taking over the reins of, of these companies, but he's an asshole <laughs> and he doesn't know how to make money. Like, do we want to be involved with that? And I, I think you're seeing a lot of companies decide the answer to that question is no. And it's just going to take time for it to be more clear in that way. Like that whole thing that happened with Apple last week where he like goes after Apple because they pulled Mm -hmm. their their advertising dollars and then realized either by his lawyers or by himself that for whatever the conversation was that he had no leverage. And so he backed Mm -hmm. down and was like, we have reached a a mutual agreement, blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah, with Tim Cook or whatever it was like. 
it's it's going to be more of that as time goes along, or it's going to be I'm going to fade into the background and not try and rock the boat any more than it already is, and just <laughs> that's not in a weird happen. way. <laughs> 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 I I mean, I guess that's I guess that I don't see it like it would be against his character to do that, but like Stranger Things have happened. I think I think they're kind of realizing like at what point do we just cut our losses? Right. That that would be the financially savvy move to do, but. Like, we're talking about a guy who legit, the FEC, right, had to put a Twitter reminder on him <laughs> so he couldn't tweet things to manipulate stock prices. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. this is, we're talking about the federal government, <laughs> like, said, hey, you need someone to handle your phone. <laughs> Because you're a real shithead. <laughs> this was like five or six years ago now. Like we yep. have, this was how a lot of people were first introduced to Elon Musk. Not necessarily like, oh, they knew he was the famous like guy, but he wasn't the richest person in the world at the time. So it was like, oh, this guy who just straight manipulates stock prices by tweets mm-hmm. is is yeah. how he he entered the the public sphere of being famous because it seems like the thing i've always felt consistent he's very concerned with being famous and using that wealth to to have some sort of level of fame yeah and... no he, he he definitely likes the public spotlight and the the problem is a he to me he comes off very much as the type of person who thinks he's a lot smarter than he is <laughs> and i mean you, you see that with the way he's reacted to various like situations throughout the years um probably the most prominent being when um the uh the kids were caught in the cave collapse in uh, i think it was thailand right and he's like well i'm just gonna ship this submarine thing over there and we'll you know we'll make it go and then an actual expert was like no that's not gonna work you're dumb like don't do that he's like you're a pedophile (laughs) the dude's like whoa hold up yeah this is (laughs) but this is where all the the right-wing conspiracies start to come in which is when you when you start to well i guess there's a certain fundamental like lack of trust in institutions which i think i don't know where that comes from from elon musk considering he's more powerful than most institutions but hold on so so let's talk about trust in institutions from a man who made most of his billions from government contracts Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so like it's, it, it is extremely <laughs> hypocritical to be like, oh, we can't trust institutions when you are just suckling at the government teeth for as much as you can squeeze out. As soon as he gives that up, though, it's like it's the same thing with the whole right wing conspiracies, where if you don't believe in institutions, you're free to believe whatever lies that you want. And so in that mm-hmm. sense, like for some reason, he's all of a sudden moved to the place of I'm all in on these right wing conspiracy theories and it- that has just made it even more problematic because he's out here telling people that they are pedophiles with 110 million followers and all of the yep. resources in the world, which is incredibly beneath him. And and like you said, kind of points to the lack of intelligence that yeah, it's, well, while and, thinking and the, you're smart. Yeah. Like, and, and the other thing I don't think he gets, and um, I don't think it's something a lot of uh, people on Twitter understand either is that the product of Twitter is the people on Twitter. Like, and if you make it a hostile environment for people who create interesting content or for people who express themselves in ways that they won't do in that hostile environment, then you are destroying what Twitter is. You're destroying the financial viability of your product. And that that really is what he's doing with the embracing of right-wing conspiracy theories, with his embracement, initial embracement of 
I don't want to have any moderation. Just, you know, let people say whatever. And, and, and like that, that was one of the big things that drove me off is like, Hey, like I'm okay being your product as long as it's a relatively, you know, entertaining slash enjoyable experience. Like I'm fine. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, I'll put my jokes out there. I'll interact with people, you know, I'll do whatever. But if there's a complete asshole at the helm and he's not making this a place that, that is safe to have public discourse that does not appreciate like what people are offering. I'm not getting paid to post on Twitter. Like (laughs) fuck you, especially if you want to demand $8 from me. (laughs) Yeah. You, you want people who are giving you content for free that is driving traffic, which is your entire business model to then pay you for the right to use that service, which is, it, it doesn't make it, sense because at a certain point, once you give someone something for free, they're not going to pay for it. But two, that you shouldn't be getting it for free in the first place. Right. Because- <laughs> like there, there, there was an amazing tweet, like around the time I got banned, where it was just like, you figured out a business model that got Stephen King to write stuff for you for free. <laughs> and now you're going to charge him for doing that. <laughs> it's like, yeah. what is wrong with you? I, I mean, I'm surprised more people don't paywall their content, especially in the space like that. But I get that, like, that's sometimes more work for people. But when you have resources and, and fame, you can get other people to set that up for you. And mm-hmm. I mean, maybe that's the direction we're headed. Maybe it's just people's thoughts are going to be put behind a paywall, even if it's a small paywall. But yeah. I, I well, just... So here's the thing. I don't think you're wrong and that that's probably the direction we're headed. But if that's the case, then Twitter as a platform isn't isn't the platform to do that on. Like you can mm-hmm. do that on Substack. Like you, you can do that on a variety of other platforms that make it much easier to accomplish that objective. Like the whole point of Twitter was it's, it's unfiltered. It's you are like, when you are talking with someone, you are talking with someone like, you know, and again, especially if they have the, the verified tech where it's like, okay, legit, this is that person. Like this, this is them talking to me. And if you want, you know, the paywall experience, like, I don't know very many people that want to go to Twitter to get that experience, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're going to go, they're just going to re up their New York times subscription or their Atlantic Atlantic subscription or whatever sub stacks they subscribe to. Like that's that business model is already in place and it's not Twitter. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, I think that's probably where more famous people are headed. I mean, I don't know what to do for like people in the, you know, the general common mass, but at the same time, like, you don't necessarily have to have Twitter for, I mean, there, there's no platform. Like you said, there's no alternative that looks exactly like Twitter. I think just social media as a whole, I think you're seeing like, it kind of like, I mean, maybe I'm just getting older, but it feels like it's kind of like usage rate has declined in a certain sense because of the fact that it has become more monetized. I don't know exactly what TikTok's engagement looks like. So maybe that's just yeah. where all of that has gone to, but it does seem like people are searching for some sort of alternative that doesn't exist right now. Yeah. Well, I, I think the thing is, is that it's, it's not that it's declining. It's that it's shifting to different spheres. Right. Cause, cause there was a time when MySpace was the, the you know, the social media platform. Right. Yeah. And before that it was GeoCities. Like you had to have your own <laughs> GeoCities webpage. <laughs> like and, like this, yeah. this is going back to ancient days of the internet. Right. So the, the thing is though, is that the, the human desire for connection to other people, the human desire for those social spaces doesn't go away. It just shifts from each generation to the next. So what we're, what we're seeing now is that a lot of us who are brought up on text-based 
interchanges of information, right? Like, so, you know, the, the initial internet was very much like text first. Like there wasn't a lot of pictures. There wasn't a lot of video because that costs a lot of bandwidth. And now we've gotten to the point where bandwidth is relatively inexpensive. So it's shifting more towards, okay, visual presentations. And I know for me, particularly, I don't like visual presentations. (laughs) Like I prefer text-based just because I can take it in quicker. But that's mm-hmm. not true for a lot of other people out there. And so you see that shift towards Instagram, towards TikTok, towards, you know, whatever the next thing is going to be. And no one knows what that thing is going to be yet. Just like no one knew that Twitter was going to be the thing when it came out. And so I, I think that hunger for, for human interaction via an online presence is still there. It's just it's moving away from the text-based model. And I mean, who knows what it's going to, what's going to come after this. Yeah, that's true. I just, I, I think, I mean, we're, we're, I think I'm about half your age at this point, but I think that we're kind of in lockstep where it's like, I don't feel like it's worth it at this point to kind of like move into this new space. Yeah. I mean, whether it be, I mean, I've, I've for years avoided getting Snapchat just because I have felt like it texting accomplishes the same thing, but this is the same thing you're talking right. about, about <laughs> visual presentation compared to text space presentation and even though like i i came up in high school and instagram and snapchat were the big things like at a certain point it wasn't i mean instagram was the the thing i gravitated towards in terms of like learning how to use social media and then twitter would come after that but it was like yeah i i think i have been accustomed to certain things and because i feel like i already use social media a lot i don't necessarily have the desire to learn new perhaps visual media based services and i don't think that necessarily applies to anyone i think the the point you brought up is really good and one i hadn't considered before that it's it's shifting again it's just shifting to whatever the mass form of communication is for uh the the generation below us shall we say i i don't right yeah i think i classify as gen z but i still (laughs) think of it in a different way well, so, so if you really want to take the historical perspective on it, like it's it's very similar to when um, the primary means of of storytelling was the oral method, right? Like you relayed mm-hmm. stories verbally, and they were handed down through generation to generation. You had the you know the tribal storyteller who said the stories, they passed along to the next one. Like that was the social media of the day. Then the printing press happened, <laughs> so if you were right in that liminal space of okay. I'm one of the last generations of oral storytellers and all these things called books are coming out. <laughs> like that's, that's a huge technological shift in terms of how information is conveyed and everyone jumped on board. Cause it's like, okay, we know once the word is put in de- is put down on paper, like it's there, we know it's there. Like it can't be changed versus the oral tradition. Okay. Maybe it got mixed, missed, uh, mixed up. Maybe your memory, you know, got messed up a little bit. And so the thing with the technology that we have now is that we're, it, it's still the exact same shifts. Like human nature is still exactly the same. It's just happening mm-hmm. faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. <laughs> like, so it's, yeah. it's not something to be like afraid of or that it's like that, that you can't understand what's happening. It's just try to take a step back and be like, this has happened before. It will happen again. It's okay to not want to like jump on board. <laughs> <laughs> the next evolution but but like know that if you don't like that is kind of where the world is going and you are going to be left behind a little bit like it's, it's and i don't think it'll be dr- a drastic change in terms of like people being unable to you know participate in society or anything like that <laughs> but it is very much a like okay you know what are the youths doing these days <laughs> 
it's like, well, yeah. if it's TikTok videos, I really don't give a fuck. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, I'm no, sorry, I get I'm old. it. <laughs> well, you also have other things that you want to do. Like, I've noticed this too with people as we've gotten older, which is like things that used to matter a lot when you're 15, 16, 17 matter a little bit less when you're tw- 19, 20, 21, just because you realize you want to do other things. Like yep. the, all of the all of these social interactions that existed through TikTok or through Snapchat or when I was younger, Instagram, like mate, like big trends on Instagram, like not like whatever you you point to like real or whatever. Now, like the big, like social media trends where like people start eating Tide Pods and stuff like the Tide Pod challenge. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I used to have a shirt that was orange and white and blue. And and that, that got a lot of jokes in, in the 10th grade, but like, yeah, like, like all of that stuff, you just, you have less of a desire for it because there are other things in your life that are more pressing perhaps. And I think once I, I think for me, I have the the basic fundamental skills and I'll continue to adapt them, but I don't necessarily feel inclined to participate. I, I, it's weird when I say like the generation below me, I just find it hard, even as a 21 year old to relate to a 15 or 16 year old right, right. now. It's just, it, you know, generations are like 15 years, but I think of them as like three generations in between each generation. So, yeah, like- so, 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 so the thing is, I think there's a valid point to be said there in that as the rate of technology has increased, I think the idea of what constitutes generation, like it needs to change because mm-hmm. but, like, for example, I remember like when I was young, I'm, I'm going to be 41 this month. So like I'm, I am old now in, in terms of like online presence, like I'm freaking ancient. Like I remember a time when the internet was something you used your landline for your home phone <laughs> to connect to. <laughs> Like, and if you were using it, your phone didn't work because you were using your phone to connect to it. And like you, you tell a kid that today and they're just like, what the fuck? What's a landline? country are you living in? <laughs> I, what's a landline? I, I don't know, right, man. Exactly. I was, I was like, born this, I was born this century. I don't know what a landline is. Yeah. Like, like what's, what's a rotary dial? <laughs> Like my, that one, that actually, one, I don't know if it, that one, I don't know if I can tell you what a rotor is. It the thing where like you spin it in a circle and yeah, it lands and it on back, a number. Yeah, it's, it, okay, yeah, exactly. So, so you'd um, it's the circle on a phone, like the really old phones, and you'd like you'd put your finger in the little circle and spin it all the way down. You'd have to wait for it to go back, then spin the next. Okay, number. I so, I've seen one of those in my grandma's house. I I've right. never <laughs> used it, but I've seen one of them. They have an old phone like that that they don't use anymore. It's just like a, a display phone now, basically. Right, but but, but again. Like that's within living memory. Like, like we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're not even talking about like World War One or World War Two. Like we're, we're talking about like landlines, <laughs> rotary phones. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I think you do like raise an interesting point there and in that the, what it means to be a generation is accelerating as our technology accelerates as well, because the world that kids grow up in, like to them, that's what's normal right? Like to Mm -hmm. them, it's, it's normal to be able to have instant access to the internet, to be able to send large bandwidth, like images and videos and use that as a means of communication with their friends and with other people. And for a long time, like the rest of the entirety of human history, that hasn't been the case, but that's what evolution does. Like that's, that's what the progression of humanity does is that we're constantly coming up with new things. We're constantly building new things. And so I I think it's also important as like, as you kind of age out of being socially relevant, so to say, is that it's still important to keep track of that stuff, you know, to to try and keep your pulse on like, okay, what's, you know, what matters, what doesn't, 
but you don't necessarily have to be a part of it if you don't want to like it's every everyone's time comes to an end at some point <laughs> like it's you know everyone gets their chance and then okay now the next generation comes along and now they get their chance thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube